0: Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, editor in chief of ACG's magazine, Middle Market Growth. I'm here today with two guests from business and technology consulting firm West Monroe Partners, Brian Jacobson, Managing Director of West Monroe Capital, and Matt Sondag, leader of West Monroe's M&A practice. They've joined me today to talk about West Monroe's new co-investing initiative and to discuss the trends in middle market M&A that they're watching heading into 2019. Brian and Matt, thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for
2: having us. Good to be here, Katie.
0: Why did West Monroe decide to set up a co-investment group to join transactions with its PE clients?
2: Yeah, good question, Katie. Um, you know, this was uh, this was something that was a couple years in the making. So, um, you know, it actually started with we got a lot of inquiries and questions from our clients to say, hey, would you guys be willing to co-invest here? We know that you guys are deep in, in technology, and deep in operations, and we'd love to maybe have you guys have some skin at the game. So it started off uh, getting a number of inquiries from our clients mm. and kind of morphed from there where you know, six, eight years ago, we probably weren't in a position to do that. And then um, we really spent uh, about a year and a half actually taking some of that client feedback, but then also going out, and I think we talked to about 30 plus clients to get their feedback on this idea and co-investing. And, mm. I think we got overwhelming support um, from our clients in terms of the idea. And uh, so really it started there. We spent, like I said, about a year and a half doing uh, our own sort of due diligence uh, and talking to our clients and got great feedback. Um, I think a couple other things, I think we, we as a firm, we like the asset class um, relative to the other, to the, the, to the hedge fund and to the other different asset classes out there. So we like that. Uh, We got great feedback. Uh, And then also from a, if you looked at our deal volume with MA, we were, you know, last year we did three hundred and twenty-five deals. Mm-hmm. So we were at the point uh, where we could be very, very uber selective in terms of our goal, at least initially, of doing eight to ten deals. We're now at a point in a maturity where just based on seeing three hundred and twenty five deals, where we can be uber uber selective and really raise our hand on those deals that we can
1: that were set up to really drive value creation post close. Mm-hmm. And it's one where it, it really allows the firm to align itself with the private equity clients in particular. So um, we get a unique look inside the business when you have these diligence teams inside of three hundred twenty-five assignments and companies throughout the year, where you get a good view of the the company and a, a way to add value. And I think I was a former uh, partner at a private equity firm, sure. and when we had our uh, had somebody like West Monroe who wanted to co-invest, it was always a little bit of a stamp of credibility on our investments, but particularly if they're going to be doing a lot of work and value creation post-closing, you love that they had a little skin in the game and were sort of betting on themselves to, to help drive that value. And I think that's where the residents came from, the, the private equity clients, uh, to maybe having West Monroe come in as an investor with them.
0: Brian, I understand you joined West Monroe to co-lead the new division, and, and Matt, you've been leading the firm's M&A practice. Can you talk about how your two roles will work together as part of West Monroe Capital, maybe starting with you, Brian?
1: Sure. Well, we're really joined at the hip. Right? Mm-hmm. We actually co-located uh, sitting next to each other and, and sort of involved because we can also, just from our perspective, if we can be helpful to the M&A practice, you know, we'd love to bring that experience that we've had on the investing side and, and kind of play that role of a potential private equity partner that their, you know, client that they're working for of, hey, how would you think about this? Huh, sure. What are the questions that you would be asking? And so having that resource kind of in-house, uh, I think has been uh, has been helpful and, and potentially impactful. And then we're just working together. I mean, the, the firm is client service first and foremost, mm-hmm. and the capital and the co-investing is just an outgrowth of that, that service offering. So we're working with these guys and and kind of always getting the feedback of hey how'd you like that one is that an interesting opportunity what might you do for uh post-closing value creation and so i think we we probably feel like a broken record to the the team uh in there saying hey so what are you you gonna do after closing on this one is this a good one for is that type of thing um but I don't know if you had any other. thing yeah, no, to I that. no, I think it's. Uh, I agree. If you look at the processes that we've set
2: up internally for this, right, we've got to be able to move very fast. Um, the, the timelines are very fast. If you look at their processes, uh, we're, as Brian said, we're we're joined at the hip. Um, we're in constant communication on these deals. I think they do a great job of of, um, of holding us accountable in terms of the value creation play and making sure that that's real and yeah. and um, um, and so joined at the hip, working very closely together. And um, I know that. Um, our team, ever since we launched this about um, six, nine months ago, our team has really enjoyed working with Brian and his team in terms of um, on these deals. and um, it's been it's been great. It's been a home run.
0: Sure. And you touched on this a little bit, but curious why now is the right time to embark on this strategy. You know we hear a lot about how deals are really expensive right now, for example. Was that a consideration and and how are you how you're looking at the market and, and timing?
2: Yeah, I think you know we're certainly well aware of, of where we sit uh, in this cycle, um, and I think it get back to my earlier point in terms of just our deal volumes at the point where um, where we can be very very selective in terms of raising our hand, um, and and we're being uh, very selective about it and and working very closely with our clients, and you know unlike some of the other uh, consulting companies that do this or, or especially the law firms, we're not just in a position where we say hey we want we think this. This deal is interesting, and therefore we want to raise our hand and co-invest, right? We have to see a play where we can drive value post-close, mm-hmm. um, and um, and so we think there's uh, a number of deals where we can get involved operationally to drive value, and and uh, while we're cognizant of where the maybe at the end of a cycle, um, we're not too concerned in terms of the the number
1: of deals that we're going to try to raise our hand on. And the other piece for now for us in particular is just how much technology has been become a core part of all these businesses where it wasn't in hmm. the past. And whereas you know, 15 years ago, it may have been an afterthought for many businesses, now it's become core a core part of the investment thesis. And so when you think about where can we add value, where do we have industry experts or domain product experts where we can create a point of view and actually add that value, there's just a lot more opportunity out there um, from, every company that we see where the co-invest may make sense uh, for us and then you're seeing many more private equity firms become involved operationally to mm-hmm. where it it's less of we've got a great company and we're going to maybe you know bolster the management team and ride it out for five years and then sell it it's what are we going to do to drive value and make a difference here and so i think that that change in mindset has opened up a lot of opportunities for our firm on that value creation side but then that's what gives us the opportunities on the co-investment side. So it seemed like a very good time uh, just throughout history to be able to start uh, start the co-investment efforts within West Monroe.
0: And it seems like that operational focus seems to be especially acute in the middle market where there's a lot of room to help grow companies in that way. Is that the space where where you guys will focus?
1: It's across the board. I, I, mm-hmm. I think um, when we look at it, I, coming in from the outside, I was impressed at sort of the the caliber of the client base, and that irrespective of size. Mm-hmm. You had a lot of uh, firms who are experts and really well-known for different areas that are middle market firms, up through some of the big ones that had some mm-hmm. specialty areas. And our firm has, has sort of touched on all of those. It grew up really in the middle market, um, and uh, and so the, the client range is pretty broad. Yeah, it is. I think, but you're spot
2: on, right, in terms of you know our ability to, to make an impact on the organization, um, when it's a mid market, say somewhere between one to 200 million in top line revenue to a to billion, um, we just like that um, we've got a little bit more control there to actually move the needle. And especially if we're talking about, um, you know, we execute on probably 40 to 50 carve outs or divestitures a year. And those are great opportunities for us um, when we're carving these, these kind of corporate orphans out mm-hmm. and standing them up. A lot of times we can't take the technology from parent and don't want to take the technology from parent. So it's a great opportunity to greenfield these organizations from a from a technology and an operations perspective and from a digital perspective. And so we just think we have you know a great opportunity to impact operations, especially you know, a mid-market organization versus somebody who might be 10, 12, 15 billion, where it's just it's a bigger ship, it's harder to turn and and harder to be uh, as nimble.
0: Sure. And as you were exploring getting into co-investing, is this seeing or have you seen law firms and other consulting firms getting into this as well, or is is West Monroe relatively unique in this space?
1: Well, we've seen it uh, pretty broadly, even back at some of my old firms we would have, whether it was Bain or um, uh, some of the law firms have their own co-investing practice. So we had seen that and had had them as co-investors in certain deals. So it's one we've seen for a while. Uh, This one always seemed unique to me coming in from the outside in that they, uh, there's more of that post-closing value creation story as opposed to a lot of those groups will work on the transaction, really like it, and wanna be a co-investor, but there's not necessarily a role for them after closing uh, to go in and do some work. And I think that is something that makes this one a little bit more unique uh, in that regard.
2: Yeah, and I think in talking with our clients, when I mentioned we went around and talked to 30 plus clients, you know, the mm-hmm. feedback that we got was, you know, our message just resonated a little bit more in terms of, to Brian's point, you know, we're not interested in just co-investing on a deal if we don't think, even though we might think it's the, the greatest deal ever, if we really can't find a value creation play post-close, we're going to pass. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that differentiate ourselves against some of the, the law firms out there that I think tend to maybe just co-invest on every single deal and just kind of play the odds and play the volume game. Um, or we've, we've even talked to some other or heard about some other consulting firms um, that do more strategy and, and advisory work, but don't, don't actually do implementation work. And I think we're, we're a little bit different is yes we can do the strategy and that work but also more importantly we can roll up the sleeves and do execution mm-hmm. so we, again we have a little bit more control over the value creation play and things like that mm-hmm. but certainly it's not a new concept right i mean no yeah this has been going on for yeah. 15 20 years so nothing necessarily new but we are uh, very focused on the, the post-close value mm-hmm. creation plan
0: and in terms of the types of investments that you're targeting you spoke about the value creation and, and using that as a screen but Um, You know, can you talk more specifically about the types of deals you're looking to work on? And are there objectives outside of maybe pure returns that you're looking for? Perhaps building deeper relationships with PE clients, that type of thing. Yeah.
1: So on the the types of deals, uh, again, they're all co-investments with private equity firms. Mm -hmm. So we'll never lead a deal Um, if we happen to find one that's interesting. You know, it, it's still one we need to do some diligence on, and we'd still want a private equity partner to lead it. Mm-hmm. So you know, we're, we're always just going along with our, our clients on these. And it's a fit where we have uh, some sort of industry expertise. So uh, it'll align with our practice levels or uh, practice areas, which are pretty broad. So it's anywhere from healthcare, software and technology, mm-hmm. uh, financial services, there's a big energy and utilities practice, and then consumer and industrial which covers almost every industry. <laughs> so <laughs> when, when we joke and list those out, it's pretty much everything but real yeah. estate yeah. Um, for the most part, where we have a lo- uh, some layer of expertise within the firm that we can tap into to get more insight onto uh, into an investment opportunity. Um, and again, it kind of always goes back to in terms of the types, where do we have that value creation story?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then I guess for the other reasons why we're doing it, there's a, a number of those internally that, I thought was pretty interesting looking at it from the outside um, that obviously the alignment with the private equity clients was one of the biggest drivers and that really was the genesis of of how this all got going in the first place. Mm -hmm. But internally, there's such a big focus within West Monroe on the individuals and the team members at the firm. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a high growth business. but. Uh, the reason why it can excel the way that it can is because they recruit the right people, retain them. Yeah, I, I, every week I get a new email on winning the uh, best place to work award in some city around the, the country, but there's a reason for it. And, and there's, a, there's a focus on what can you do that's different and, and bring people into the firm. Having this is another angle where for West Monroe Capital, unlike some of the other partners' funds that we've talked about at different firms, the um, everyone in the firm shares in the benefits of this. So even mm. people who just started out of undergrad a week ago are owners in the ESOP. Uh, so it's an employee-owned oh, okay. ESOP where everyone here is actually has exposure to the private equity asset class, which is unique and different, and one where you know, when you talk to people within the firm, they get pretty passionate about the fact of, hey, this is different. Nobody else is doing this. And, well, actually, I've got an investment in that. And so uh, it's another way to kind of motivate and retain uh, really stellar people.
0: Sure. So those internal stakeholders.
2: Yeah, very big. And I think, um, in fact, I had some conversations probably in the early days where a lot of our folks thought maybe it was just for the directors. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's not this is uh, this is for everyone in the firm and uh, which I think is great. The other thing I would add to um, kind of the inve- the investments that we're targeting in addition to what Brian said from an industry focus, right where we can go in both operationally um, and from a strategy perspective, but also, you know, there are certain deals out there that we would probably gravitate more and those are kind of the corporate carve outs. Mm-hmm. Um, where we do, as I think I mentioned earlier, 40 to 50 of those a year. So um, certainly something that we're very comfortable with and, and know how to do those. So we certainly like those. Um, we'd also like kind of the add-on deals uh, from a mm-hmm. merger perspective, especially more of the bigger kind of merger of equals, where uh, a big piece of the success of that investment kind of hinges on a successful merger of two big entities. And so we, mm-hmm. we like those as well to, to be able to go in and, and have some skin in the game.
0: And switching gears a little bit, as West Monroe works with clients both on the consulting side and, and through co investing, what are you seeing in terms of trends that are impacting middle market MA as we head into 2019?
2: Yeah, so a couple things. One, um, you know, the, I think I'll start on the fundraising side. I think this is um, the, and Brian, you've said it before in terms of the, the haves and the have nots with respect to fundraising, those that have mm-hmm. a good track record and kind of done it before. The fundraising has never been more favorable. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I think if you talked to clients a couple years ago, three, four years ago, they said, you know, hey, if if you used to think it was, if you plan for a year, you know, it's going to take two years, or if you think it's a year and a half, it's going to be three years, and now we're seeing, uh, kind of for those halves, we're seeing it's about half the time um, to fundraise. So fundraising is up. What does that mean? A couple things. One, you've got um, the competition is even higher, Mm and you've got more dry powder out there than ever before which is driving some, some very frothy um, valuations. Uh, it's also having impact on the actual transaction cycle number of times, especially in the last 12, 18 months where we're getting called on deals where it's like, hey, we're gonna kind of skip the process and jump ahead and we need to get all this analysis done in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's um, cutting short the, the diligence timeline and, and things like that. Um, I think the other thing that we're seeing from a uh, market perspective is I think we're seeing larger funds come down market so the search for value is, is on. And um, so we're seeing larger funds that are saying, hey, I, I can't, uh, the market's super competitive and they're coming down market. And I think they're especially coming down market from two perspectives, one on software. So commercial oh. software products, uh, very hot space, um, the annuity based business, our clients love that. Um, so we're seeing some very, very large funds that are coming down and buying 30, $40 million businesses that I think two, three years ago, they probably would not have been interested in. Mm. Um, um, but but uh, so that we're seeing a lot. Um, and the other thing is, we're seeing more companies that are interested in smaller add ons. So, again, something maybe two, three years ago they might not have been interested in, and it just isn't worth uh, the, the juice, isn't worth the squeeze in terms of going after some of those smaller deals, but now they're doing it just because the search for value is so tough. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I mentioned before uh, from a carve out perspective, I think um, a lot of firms that just uh, like to stay away from carve outs, I think. Um, just based on the risk and and kind of the capex required to execute that successfully. A lot of them just stayed away from it and didn't touch it. And I think in the last 12, 18 months, um, more and more of my clients uh, and our clients within the firm are willing to do corporate carve-outs and Mm -hmm. and go after these corporate orphans that they think there's a big value play there. Um, So those are some of the trends that that we're seeing. Um, And then I think, as Brian touched on earlier, um, we're seeing more of our clients that are out there hiring operating partners to supplement their team internally, to again get after the value creation play, and and the days of financial reengineering reengineering are, are way over, mm-hmm. and um, they've got a um, and I think a lot of them probably differentiate themselves. and Brian, you could probably talk to this more, but a lot of firms maybe differentiated themselves in a sale process, saying, "Hey, we're going to buy the business, and we're going to kind of stay at at arm's length and not really get involved. Let you run your business." And I think more and more of them are just getting involved operationally because. Um, you know they know that they've got they've got to really add some operational value or they went through a very comp- competitive buying process and and paid a ton for this money and they got to go in there and figure out how
1: they can can get that value on the back end so yeah and, and you're seeing I think more of a, a process from the selling companies asking the private equity firms what are you going to do for me mm. you know it's the management team saying well what resources are you going to bring and you know, less of the you know maybe 15 20, Years ago, it was the "Are you going to stay out of my hair and let me go run my business?" And now it's the well, "What other resources do you bring? Mm-hmm. You know, how are you going to help me get ahead in a competitive environment?" So, uh, I think that the companies are looking for that as well, and I think all that competition has also driven a little bit more specialization on the area of the private equity firms. Mm-hmm. So, there aren't as many just generalist middle market firms out there anymore that don't have some sort of area of expertise that in order to be you know if you have high valuations and competitive processes you need to be able to pick the right ones and you really need to know what you're doing before you walk into a deal uh, in a given area that if you're just learning an industry and a company for the first time you probably don't want to be the high bidder.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) We've done a lot of uh, coverage of family offices recently and uh, family buyers getting into sort of the private equity style investing and obviously they can hold for a long time. Are you seeing your private equity clients, you know, interested in potentially holding companies longer as a way to, to compete in, in this new environment where you have a more diverse range of buyers, some of whom can hold on to companies for a long time?
2: Yeah, I think a couple of things. I think we're seeing folks that are willing to to hold for a little bit longer just based on maybe where they are in, in the cycle and the state of the that industry um, and and using that as a differentiation within their sale process to say, hey, we're mm-hmm. not fit to and holding tight to a four or five year. Um, so we are seeing uh, more of our clients hold be willing to hold longer. But also on the flip side, I think we're also seeing where, and I think part of it is where we stand kind of in this cycle where some of our clients think, if we're at the tail end of maybe a favorable economy, uh, we are seeing some that are saying, hey, I'm two and a half, three years in, and, and we're getting some unsolicited, unsolicited bids, and they're willing to kind of say, all right, you know, let's, let's okay. take this and, and kind of exit. So I think we're seeing a little bit of both.
0: Sure. And we've been in a high price environment, obviously, for some time now. Are you seeing new ways that private equity firms are looking to drive value in their portfolios? You've touched on a lot of that, but are there, you know, new strategies that you're seeing kind of emerge?
2: Yeah, a couple things. I think, um, one, um, you know, the, the concept around digital uh, mm-hmm. is very much a buzzword. And I think our, our clients in particular um, that we talk with are a couple things. One, they're struggling with um, how to define it because it is a buzzword. And mm-hmm. um, and then, but more importantly, they're saying, okay, well, how do I start? Um, sure. And so I think that um, organizations out there that are willing to embrace technology, willing to bra- embrace analytics. Um, I think they're, uh, those are the, I think the firms and, and the private equity owned firms that are going to um, have a leg up in terms of understanding and how do we leverage technology to drive
1: mm-hmm. down costs and, and increase customer stickiness and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and back to the, the comment that we had talked about earlier, just the being more active in the portfolio management and how are you bringing value to the business? You just, there's a lot more of the the need today to justify those higher prices and kind of make up for it if you might have overpaid in the beginning so that that comes with the bigger focus with operating partners with providers who are experts in areas like digital um, that that Matt had talked about but uh, there are ways where you can create that value where you didn't you didn't have that lever before that you could pull on the technology front Mm -hmm. where you can automate a number of things on your operating processes your decision analytics will give you much more data around your customers and what's working, what's not, uh, a lot more on sort of your profitability per product line and and different ways of driving that. So you do have more um, more alternatives for how you manage your business than you ever had before. Yeah, and I think also from a
2: from a technology play perspective, we're seeing that validated based on. Um, we're getting called earlier and earlier on deals um, mm. where technology is maybe second to quality of earnings. Technology is maybe their most important form of diligence. So we're getting called earlier. I think our clients are spending more time, effort, uh, and fees on doing technology diligence, whereas four or five years ago, maybe they were, um, maybe weren't maybe spending as much time and effort there. Mm. Um, and then I think uh, when it comes to doing the the mergers and the carve-outs, yeah. the technology piece is the long pole in the tent and um, and the most complex um, and so our clients are well aware of that and and uh, the need to invest in technology and on the upside those that do and take advantage of it um, can can seek some great returns.
0: Brian, Matt, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast.
2: Thank you. Well, thanks for having me here.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. Subscribe to the podcast in the iTunes store, where you can listen to past episodes and hear the next episode in two weeks. While you're there, we'd love if you could rate the show and leave a review to help listeners find out about us. After you've rated the podcast, head over to our website, middlemarketgrowth.org, for more stories about successful mid-sized companies and middle market M&A.